0: July 20th, PFF forecast. We've got a uh, fun slate today. We're going to talk uh, contracts and the negotiation with uh, Brad OTC. That's how you know him on Twitter. But uh, maybe we'll change it to Brad OTC PFF at some point here uh, in the very near future because uh, Brad's been working with us. It's been a lot of fun. That'll be great. We're going to then talk about some of the new contracts that were signed. And then we're going to look at week one lines, because those are up, those are posted, we're feeling optimistic about an actual season happening, Uh, so we're going to take a look at those, and uh, that'll be the podcast, so let's rock. All right, Uh, Eric, your post cleanse, your post juice cleanse, right now. How do I look? You're radiating. You're literally like very bright. Actually, I don't know (laughs) if that's that's the juice cleanse.
1: My light has been kind of a a trash fire, but how does it feel though? It's fine. You know, you were talking about how you had to take probiotics. You know, with the stomach.
0: Look, I, I was inspired by your junk science to try some junk science of my own. And so, yes, I did order um, a couple of, of cases of vitamins, some pre and probiotics. Just trying Are to you make sure got guy generally? Solid. No, I'm not, that's the thing. I'm very much a, if I can't will myself to health <laughs> with the things available to everyone, then I don't deserve it. I just,
1: you know, I needed, I needed kind of a something of a reset. I feel great, my neck doesn't hurt, I don't have headaches. So I don't know. I it probably is junk science, but you know, it's never well, stopped me before.
0: I have a sneaking suspicion. See, if I were in Cincinnati, what would cause me to maybe do a juice cleanse is if I somehow lost a bet and had to eat skyline chili. I I'm think ne- that's, okay. that's that's. So I no, that's a
1: probiotic though, isn't it? Isn't it like, a,
0: <laughs> isn't isn't
1: like if I look, if I was really desperate and I needed a. There's nothing a glass, pro about it. And I needed a laxative. I would probably take. I'd probably eat Taco Bell. But before, but after that, if that didn't work, I'd probably eat Skyline
0: and then die. Brad, have you ever done a juice cleanse or been on the pro prebiotic
2: game? We do a lot of weird, different health things. Right now, we're actually doing the um, where you what's it called? I'm blanking now. Where you only eat for like eight hours out of the day? Uh, Um, Oh, intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, right, right. So we're doing that right now, which I don't mind. Uh, I haven't seen a difference, but you will we'll see. It's still I
0: I do that generally, except that I don't. So I don't eat until like after my first workout, and that so that's usually around like that's afternoon. But I'm really bad at the stopping eating at eight, so I do like a noon to like eleven p.m. It's close. It's intermittent fasting, I guess.
1: Yesterday was the first time, and God knows how I almost never stop eating a meal and then like put it away like what i get is what i eat which i Uh, feel like is probably my biggest problem but yesterday was like the first time like i got a caesar salad and it was so big that i had to like stop eating it put it away eat it later i feel like that's growth growth
0: there's there's been this will be our last anecdote i can remember one time that i have not finished an entire meal at a restaurant And it was because the burger that i ordered was so terrible that i wanted to send a message and so i ate three bites of it and left it and walked out but that's literally been it i don't think that's ever been a problem for me um brad i think you'll enjoy the intermittent fasting i've heard good things about it and it controls i think what is the biggest evil which is eating late obviously not for me but like in general i think it's solid um another uh transition here that is perfect so going from trying to find a way to uh get to, to feed everyone and that's what the nfl is like trying to do right now that might have been the worst transition in in the history of all transitions but i had this suspicion so like going on twitter yesterday everyone all the all the players are tweeting everyone is really up in arms about you know all of the the nfl's incompetence the players need to be safe these different things Part of me feels like a lot of the haggling is really over the financial side of things because that ultimately is what, you know, people really care about. Am I totally off base there? Might there be some truth to that?
2: I think it's a spot on for sure. I think with all these sports leagues negotiations, what they try to do is kind of push the health and safety stuff to light because they don't want to have the classic, you know, millionaires versus billionaires in, in the right. public. Uh, and, and so that doesn't really look good for anyone. Um, and I think this new NFLPA with J.C. Treader the Brown center, who's now the new president. I mean, they're really. I always used to critique the NFLPA because they never negotiated via the media. You know, I like to call it the classic Jerry Jones. Like you're just you're just dominating the news cycle. And I think these things they're doing, like this, this tweet campaign, and you know, we want to play, and all of that. It's putting the pressure on the NFL. You know, because it shows that they're, you know, united in their in their belief that they can play if it's safe and all that. So. You know, from a legal perspective, from a you know, that bargaining perspective, I think they're doing a pretty good job.
0: Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting and I'm curious about this, is so there's no force majeure clause in the collective bargaining agreement, which is something that's like fairly standard in I think just about every contract out there. Maybe I'm wrong for thinking that. So that was surprising to me. But I'd also I was also surprised that I did some like Wikipedia research that it seems as though common law does kind of protect against this sort of catastrophic situation. How does that play into it? Like, is I always thought that the leverage, the owners had all the leverage, but it seems to me that maybe without the force majeure clause, the players might have some of the leverage because as soon as they play a game, they're going to get paid their full salaries
2: yeah so what it's looking like right now as you mentioned it's definitely a bit crazy to not see a force majeure clause uh in any contract you know i struggle to recall working on a contract in any of my stops in my legal career and, and then not being in there and it's interesting uh a lawyer i should shout out his name is akiva cohen uh, on twitter i uh, had a whole thread basically about how he doesn't even believe the nfl teams are going to be able to cleanly force uh contracts to toll Meaning that the you know 2020 uh, you know provisions would apply to 2021 if they had to skip a season. Uh, It's his belief that you know they had a carve out for tolling, and it was about you know guys going to the military or various other reasons, retiring, stuff like that. Um, There's nothing about you know like you said, there's nothing about a pandemic or or a stoppage of season for you know a reason like that. And it's not included. And when you do include some examples like retiring early or or deploying or stuff like that, and you don't include other examples, then, you know, traditional common law would say that, you know, that trumps. And so that they shouldn't be able to toll these deals. So, yeah, you know, to bring it all full circle, we're hearing about, you know, COVID protocols in public behind closed doors. This is what they're talking about. You know, if a guy opts out. How is he going to get paid if it's the last year of a guy's contract? Is he a free, going to be a free agent You know, at the end of this year or the end of next year? Those are the things that are really getting hatched out.
1: I mean, so is there an incentive then for – because it sounds like, I mean, there's an incentive then if there's any chance of the season being shortened. I mean, is there an incentive on the owner's part to not have a season then? Or is that – just no, on I the face
0: of it, first off, that sounds ridiculous. To me.
1: I, I know, but i'm I'm just <laughs> thinking about I'm just thinking about what the because because it is all it's it's all or nothing in terms of paying the players, right? Like that's so if they're but I don't know. I mean, there's there's got to be an issue with the TV. The TV contracts are really what the what the revenue is going to be this year. So yeah, I, I'm just trying to think through this out loud.
2: Yeah, well, who, no, I've, I've, I've thought about that the whole time because when we're talking about all these different what's going to happen, you know, if Corona is a problem, stuff like that is the worst case probably has to be starting and then having to, let's say, stop after three mm-hmm. weeks. You pay all that upfront money to get things going. You, like you said, all the deals, TV deals, stuff like that. The players, all their contracts lock in. And, and, you know, because they've played at least one week, then, like you said, it guarantees the rest of the year. And then you have to shut down. I mean, that's worst case scenario. Who,
0: okay, so in your mind, because I've always thought the owners had all the leverage, who has more leverage right now at the bargaining table?
2: I mean, owners are always going to have more leverage. And and I think, end of the day, the old adage is, like, a union is only as strong as the amount of years uh, of an average career. So, like, the NFL Players Association will never have more leverage than than anyone else. You know, I mean, it's a three-and-a-half-year career. You can threaten a guy. You know, the average player is missing out on a third of his career earnings, you know, effectively. Um, plenty of guys below that, so that's the that's what the NFL owners do a good job of always is splitting the kind of splitting the pot and appealing to you know that 60% that makes near minimum and kind of letting the you know Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilsons of the world kind of be against them and say it doesn't matter. We're just appealing to the you know the the, the nut and bolt guys.
0: What what stuck out to me because Eric and I were as we like to do reacting, overreacting, underreacting, playing devil's advocate for you know like. Should we be really worried? Should we not be really worried? And one of the things that, that I remember saying yesterday was like, well, the common thread that I see for all of these tweets by the players is, like, we want to play. So I, I don't know if you – I do agree it's really smart by them to to use the media. Like, I, I, we never – I can't remember seeing something like this before. I thought it was great. But you do – kind of show your hand a little bit in my opinion if you're including the we want to play and everything and i get why you're doing that you're trying to say hey we're not trying to be spoiled millionaires complaining about stuff that makes perfect sense i saw that that was immediate but you're also showing your hand a little bit in that yeah you do really want to play and i want to play i would want to play too but i I think it does like as much as we hope that the players gain more leverage the owners are still in a super powerful position
2: yeah, I think when you discussed it, too, it's in terms of leverage, if you look at it as who can afford to lose this more, obviously the owners can afford to miss a season. It's not ideal. I think a key point you mentioned, too, the TV deals come up in 2022, so, you know, they want to have a good product on the field and have good players playing, but, yeah, end of the day, it's just a lot easier for the owners to forego the money than it is the players.
0: All right, let's talk some contracts here because some were signed, uh, some were not, notably Dak Prescott. And I feel like the Dak Prescott thing was super anticlimactic. Like there was really, everyone kept expecting to hear all these, you know, reports like down to the minute that was like, all right, you know, Jerry came back with this. Dak said no, he came back with this. And really it felt like there was just dead air everywhere. But there were some that got signed. What in your mind were kind of your biggest takeaways? Where would you want to start if you were telling the story of this kind of recent set of extensions that were
2: signed? Yeah, no question that Dak would be the, you know, headline of the whole past couple days uh, not coming to that deal you know on the franchise tag obviously a lot of these tag guys did not get signed Um, you know for example like the Broncos had never failed to sign a guy on a franchise tag before Justin Simmons Um, so it's not just Dak but you don't see quarterbacks play on franchise tags that often right Mm -hmm. Um, you know obviously we all know the Kirk Cousins good ones (laughs) not good no not not good ones right Um, you know and so you know he's good Uh, I think you're comfortable that he's definitely good enough to give a long-term deal Um, and it really seemed like they just put a game of chicken and and the Cowboys and and Dak side both just refused to kind of give in Uh, length seemed to be the main issue Um, I I personally would side with Dak side in in terms of their decision to not sign this deal Um, I don't think it was a good enough deal and I think if he has a strong season again He will ask for much more and deserve it again. Uh, So that that tag in 2021 would be for $37.7 million. There's no reason for him, if he plays similar to how he did this past year, to basically ask for a deal where that's the average per year. Um, So if anything, the Cowboys may have done themselves a disservice by waiting. They should have done it the year before. They should have done it this year. Um, and so that was that was definitely the headline, and, and just a just a fail on the Cowboys' part.
0: And that tag can't change based on what happens to salary cap, correct?
2: No, because it'll be a second tag, so it'll be one hundred and twenty percent of this year's thirty one point four million. So yeah, can't can't change that. I mean, that's that's why you're
1: absolutely right about Dak. I mean, the thing about Dak is he bet on himself last year, right? They offered him a pretty big deal, and he's bet him bet on himself. One, right? All intents and purposes, they didn't make the playoffs, or or anything like that, but he played really well. And you, you got to make Dallas pay up in that event, right? I mean, that's that's like the whole point. If you were not going to make Dallas pay up, then what was the point of not accepting the first deal?
2: Yep. Yeah. No, and you talk about leverage, too. I think Dak's side has so much more leverage here than the Cowboys going forward, too. Yeah,
1: because if he goes to, so, like, what's the worst-case scenario? Like, if you look at, like, take uh, Kirk, right? So 2016, Kirk is tremendous, right? He's, you know, 67% completion, you know, whatever. He, he graded really well for us. You know, awesome season. 2017, he wasn't so good. Uh, Washington wasn't nearly, at, you know, didn't win as many games. He dropped in yards per attempt by like half a yard. And he get, he hits free agency, right? Like the worst thing that happened to him was Washington said, hey, we want Alex Smith instead. And he hits free agency and he gets the best deal in, the, in league history at that point, right? So if da- even if Dak plays poorly this year, and Dallas says, okay, to hell with him. Like, some like the Jets are going to pay for him, right, at that point. Or, like, there's going to be a bidding war for services, especially now because back in 18, how many quarterbacks? Like, Kirk had to pick between, what, the Jets and the Vikings? Like, Dak, if you look at the composition of quarterbacks around the league, he's going to get to pick from a lot of different teams.
0: Yeah, that, yep. that's a great point. So his PFF grade, uh, 80, 81 in 2016, was 10th. In 2017, was 20th at 70. And you're right. Now, on the flip side, my counter argument to that would be it's in Dak's best interest to stay with the Dallas Cowboys. Because if you want, I always think about Chris Rock's comedy bit where he talks about the difference between being rich and wealthy. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is rich. The guy that signs his checks is wealthy. If you want to be wealthy, like being with the Cowboys long term is a great deal for you because you can sign those types of, of uh, contracts off the field that can make you really really uh, you know a, a well-off person for the rest of your life so to me there's that that's a little bit of a difference whereas with cousins it was like actually anywhere is better than being in washington yeah. I mean, this place is a team, disaster
1: is, is there any team in the nfl for which that's also true like is new york that way is chicago that way No. Like, probably not. The Cowboys
0: uh, are America's team, right? Or
1: LA. I mean, if he went to go – if he replaced Jared Goff and the Rams, like
0: he Unless he's playing for the Lakers. Are the Lakers looking for a quarterback? They could. Like, I would say – I would say that the teams that are somewhat close, I I would say the Niners might be somewhat close because of the the history there, but I don't even think the Niners are in the same – I mean – The Cowboys basically have half of, I mean, they have two-thirds of the three primetime, you know, booths, (laughs) right? Like, I I mean, uh, I I don't know. It it seems to me like this one's a little bit different in that he, yes, does have the leverage, but it is in his best interest to stay. Um, I just think it's really funny, like you said, Brad, that the Cowboys had this list of players that were, you know, that they could have re-signed. And the most important one is the only one that they were unable to lock down.
2: Yep. No, 100%. And just to, I guess, play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate a bit, Ooh. I definitely get the Cowboys market argument, but Kirk Cousins on a cash basis from NFL paychecks it has made more money from 2016 to 2020 than any player in the NFL except for Russell Wilson. So, And that's probably like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah, no, I agree. Dak probably makes more off the field if he stays in Dallas. Um, you know, even compared to like a Jets or a Bears, but yeah, the double tag route, and then like you said, even if he has an off year this year, it doesn't really matter. Some team's gonna splurge and give him a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, he's making yeah as much as anybody else in the league at that point.
0: Do two wrongs make it right is a double devil's advocate. Like, I don't know. Anyways, I that was once, my. I second. think hell
1: is an absorbing state. Do not think you go back?
0: <laughs> Can't go back. Um, couple of defensive linemen um eric's boy chris jones and then miles garrett um both both getting these these extensions i thought it was really interesting seeing um the report that that mahomes called chris jones after his deal got done and was like hey i left some on the table for you like get this deal done and i read that and i was like what do you mean left some on the table for you You just fi- signed a half a billion dollar deal um he's but, not
2: he's not wrong though. but he's not I wrong mean- right So, he's actually, no, he's not wrong at all. He, uh, in terms of the next two seasons, we've talked about this a little bit, but these next two seasons for the Chiefs is really the window they're going for. Um, And so, just looking at Garrett versus Mahomes. So, Mahomes was due about $27.5 million from 2020 to 2021. With his extension, that's now going to be about $33.5 million. Uh, Whereas Garrett was due about $20 million over the next two years, and that number is now at 43 and a half million. So Garrett Man. is getting more cash and more money up front than, than Mahomes is. So, yeah, Mahomes sort of – he left some cash available for Chris Jones.
0: That's very kind of him. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a team player right there, right? I mean – Yeah. I don't, that, I don't know. What, do you, what do you think of this deal, Brad?
1: I mean, because when I look at it, like obviously it's nice to have a really good defensive lineman on your team. But they're – I mean, they're in a position, and I I know Mahomes' deal gave them flexibility now and also gave them certainty in the future, right? They know how much Mahomes is going to cost in the future, and there's a little bit of flexibility there, right, where being able, they can sort of like, they can take some of those salaries and put them in more advantageous places from the Caps perspective, Um, But I I still think that the Jones deal is just a little bit overkill for them as a team just because defensive linemen just don't move the needle nearly as much as, you know, other positions.
2: Yeah, you know, I thought it was going to be a decision between Frank Clark and Chris Jones. I think when we talked about this franchise tag a couple months ago, we expected either a trade or something like that. Uh, The thing is that in 2022, I expect them to make a decision. Like, I don't think both Frank Clark and Chris Jones will be on the roster in 2022. Um, so, I guess you look at it from that perspective, again. Like They're just trying to squeeze everything out of this, this really short-term window. Yeah. It's kind of a pay-as-you-go contract, and, and Clark's is, 2022 is the first year where they can move on from Frank Clark. But it is a ton of money to put up front, as you mentioned. Um, so, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they work around it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, the Chris Jones deal is a lot of kicking the can down the road. So, if you assume they were going to keep him on the tag this year, then... Yeah. Keep them on the tag, and then you know, end up tagging him again next year. Like, it's not—it's not as if they—they they spent way more than that would have cost them, right?
2: Just two million above that. You, you nailed it. Yeah. So if they just tagged him twice, it would have been about thirty-five mil. They're giving him thirty-seven six over two years. Yeah, it's not too bad.
1: Yeah, and you look at—I mean, for them, I mean, in our simulation, they are the most likely team to win the Super Bowl. They are the Vegas favorites. They—they're in a really good spot, right? I mean, if you look at the AFC. There's one other dominant team and their quarterback is a lot more uncertain as far as, you know, a lot more uncertain as well with respect to being elite. So it makes sense that they would lean in here, um, given, you know, the uncertainty at quarterback basically everywhere else in the league besides Seattle.
0: Looking at, at Garrett, am I right to say um Brad that maybe this the Mahomes deal obviously got way more coverage because of the big number and the number of years and everything but Garrett's deal seems pretty like impressive especially given the fact that he was suspended at the end of last year but like from a money perspective I mean they're setting a new bar right for for certainly for pass rushers but just for like defensive players and non-quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, 100%. So he's the first defensive player to ever get 100 million in total guarantees. Um, Khalil Mack got 90, so he passes him there. Uh, his three-year cash flow is about 80 million dollars, um, which I think just edges Aaron Donald. Um, no, this this is an impressive deal. And one cool little tidbit, because you mentioned the, the suspension. So the, the Browns put a double option in this deal. So there's a signing bonus, then there's an option in 2021, and then another option in 2022. Uh, We haven't seen the structure since since the Joe Flacco deal with the Ravens in 2013. Now, I know that doesn't exactly inspire inspire confidence. But so to your your kind of suspension point, the reason why I found it interesting. So with option bonuses and roster bonuses, um, basically, so the 2021 option bonus, when that gets paid out, um, after that year, it cannot be forfeited back to the Browns. Whereas with the signing bonus, let's say he, you know, gets suspended again. And obviously because he had such a bad suspension, I would assume that he's kind of on a short list where the next one he gets is also going to be, you know, at an elevated base level, um, those option bonuses are basically less forfeitable. So basically the Browns kind of did him a solid in saying like, you know, if you get a defenseless receiver hit or something, something random that you didn't really try to do, let's say they give you a six game suspension because of your history. They actually made it harder to go after his money. And I think that yeah. was kind of a, you know, working with, thank you for working with us, and we're kind of both understanding where we're coming from.
0: Huh. So that's not really, when you said that, when you said signing bonus and then the double option, I thought, oh, the Browns and Andrew Berry are being... You know, uh, shrewd and smart, realizing they're taking a bit of a risk and giving themselves some more optionality. And really, it's you're saying it's the other way around. It's a sweet like deal a th- for for Garrett, right? Yeah,
2: it's a, yeah, it's a great structure for Garrett. So obviously, you are pushing. You know, if if the signing bonus was all 60, it's about 60 million in total between the three. If the signing the signing bonus was all 60 million, Garrett would love that too. But begin, it's basically 20, 20, 20, 20 for the next three years and. Yeah, it's really just about forfeiture language. So from that perspective, Garrett definitely loves it. Um, But yeah, you know, from a cash flow, obviously it pushes the cash down the line. So I think Andrew Barry is going to be a guy we have to keep an eye on. Um, Whenever I see something that's just different than what teams have been doing, as we mentioned, you know, the Mahomes kind of pay-as-you-go structure with all those roster bonuses is different. This is kind of the opposite, um, where it's all pushing money into proration and all they're doing is just sending money down the line. It's been. It can be a tough situation sometimes when you have a bad player who has a lot of you know money pushed down the road. But with a guy like Garrett, who you know is going to be here for the next you know four or five years, probably at a minimum, um, it could be interesting how they kind of go about some of these contracts they're doing in Cleveland. Yeah. How,
0: explain to people how exactly the option bonus works out.
2: Sure. So basically, it's treated like a signing bonus, uh, but you put it the trigger date in the future. So. You know, he'll get a $21 million signing bonus right now. Um, then there's a little over $20 million option bonus that's due in the first couple of days of 2021. So what happens is because it's a five-year extension via two years left, you're only allowed to prorate money for a total of five years. So the signing bonus is going to go for the next two years. You know, the two years he had left and then three new. Then the okay. next option bonus will cover the four new years. And then that okay. third and final bonus will go to the end of the deal. So they almost kind of built in, like it's kind of a restructure, they basically just built into the deal from up front, um, and then it kind of kicks the can down the road as those, those option bonuses vest. It's
0: like, uh, it's like me trying to buy a new piece of furniture.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I would say we could talk about Derrick Henry's deal. I'm not all that inclined. Give me one sentence on what you make of Derrick Henry's uh, four-year, $50 million deal
2: your favorite generational player. I wanted yep. to flip it really quick on you guys if I could. Just, how, does this move the needle for either of you at all? Is that, okay, yeah, four year, $50 million deal, solid deal, 25 and a half million guaranteed. It's about, you know, two tags worth again. Here's my question. All right, since he got drafted, he has 1,670 total snaps. Christian McCaffrey in the last two years has 2005 snaps. He averages about 915 a year henry about 415 a year obviously that's gone up since his early days but there's a 500 snap per year difference between these guys change your opinion of how this looks at all
1: eric well it just, to me it just makes the mccaffrey deal not look as great oh really right? explain well i mean look i don't i don't think the henry deal is as bad as it could be you know, like, okay. I it, it honestly isn't. I mean, the, the fact that he's not an every down back helps, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, but I, I just think it makes the McCaffrey deal look, because I think we all think of McCaffrey as indestructible, when in reality, like, he's just like everybody else in some ways. Um, the The Henry deal, I don't think is great from the perspective of it does, it very acutely says, this is what the Titans are about. We're about running the football, and if you watch last season with Tennessee, and you then that's the thing you come away with. I can't help you. So,
0: I don't okay. know. That, like that's my take on it. Like counterpoint. It's my favorite thing. You're setting up the play action pass before the season even starts. It's letting pretty people expensive know. to do, though. You're letting <laughs> these people know. Um, I thought it was super funny. We ran a poll on on Instagram that was like, "Who matters more to this offense?" And Derrick Henry won like seventy eight to twenty two. <laughs> like it wasn't even close.
1: You hate to see it.
0: Um, I, I honestly, my issue with the Derrick Henry deal. I mean, obviously, nothing to do with Derrick Henry. I'm happy that he got the deal. But Brad, when I look at this, and you often phrase it really well just like okay well this is what two tags would cost so this is how much they're actually you know making more over getting tagged twice i wouldn't i thought tagging henry once was a was a overspend so to me you know this is giving you less of an out you know next year to say okay well now he's already run out of gas and we don't we're deciding not to tag him. There's no bigger risk that that happens with a player than it is for a, a big guy playing running back. So I don't know, to me, um, even though it was relative to McCaffrey so much less, I, I just, man, I have a real hard time seeing this be ending up as, a, as any kind of value. Even for, even for the people that think this is a good deal right now, I have a hard time imagining that they'll think it is two, three years down the road. So, I don't know. That, that's my thought on it. Do you disagree?
2: No, I completely agree. That's kind of the cycle. That's how it goes. Is it's, you know They love it. This guy's different. He's different than all the ones before. Then a year later, it's like, what does he cost in a trade? What can my team get back for him in a trade? And then like they get cut. That's kind of the cycle. Right.
0: <laughs> You're, I mean, yeah. Uh, you summed it up perfectly. All right. Let's do... Um, some week one stuff uh, because heck I, I haven't felt this optimistic the, guy, the owners are meeting the players really? voice their opinion I'm feeling very optimistic you are among
1: the two of us Brad you know, we want, we've taken some time to get to know Brad but of, of the two of us I am by far the most optimistic of the two right Yes. True. I, I mean I think it goes without saying and it's the fact enough. that you're more optimistic than me right now which is good I think then
0: Yes. And the reason I am um, is that I thought yesterday the tweets from the players actually gave me a lot of faith that I I thought those were really positive. I know everyone took away from it. Oh, the NFL like isn't getting their act together, but it takes two sides. Right. And the players showing that they want to get the thing rolling, that they cared about a couple of things, whether it be really money or actually safety. Like that's going to move things forward. So I, I, am I do. Optimistic. I
1: do think that I do think both parties going into it uh, saying everything's hunky dory would have been a problem. I'm glad that at least one of the parties is like, hey, 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 let's have something in place here. That's a positive for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, All
0: right. Week Week one opens up with the Texans at the Chiefs, and this is a rematch, obviously, of the playoffs. And this, the line, the uh, in that game, in Kansas City in the playoffs, uh, closed at Kansas City minus 10. It is Kansas City minus 10 again. Yeah. And my theme throughout week one and looking at week one is, even if there are fans there, it's not going to be anywhere near a full stadium. I One of the things that I, that to me matters about home field advantage and particularly at Arrowhead is like you can get loud enough where you can force the offensive line and the offense in general not to be able to be as on the same page as they'd want. So, I don't know, my gut reaction to this was 10 is a lot, even though the Chiefs are amazing, and maybe this is an overreaction um, to not having fans in the stands, but that's my thought.
1: Yeah, I, I took 10.5 when it opened. I It's 9.5 even if you look at some places. Um, the total, I think, opened at 56, now at 54.5. I do think... Uh, look i think deandre hopkins is probably worth as much to the like if they didn't replace him with anybody he's probably worth as much as the decreased home field advantage in kansas city um but the Texans did replace him with somebody and um and and so i i mean i think it's houston or pass here i can totally see kansas city boat racing them again um but early on it's going to be really hard for me to take any spread that's over a touchdown uh, if I'm weighing the points.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of dogs are barking week one, um, especially a lot of these big road dogs like you mentioned, especially when you don't have any sort of home field advantage. Uh, I, I saw the Texans one as well. I also think even the Browns, I'm seeing it eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of same thing. I, I just don't see teams covering a touchdown with all that's going on. We don't even know. Yeah, I'm trying to find an edge of some kind. Like I know people love continuity so that week one it's like, we're looking at teams that have brought a lot of the same players from last year, but it could be, honestly, like simplicity of, of the schemes they run on and the offense they run. on. So maybe Bill O'Brien just pounds the rock, you know, in Arrowhead and keeps things simple. Um, stuff like that could make a big difference early on. Here,
1: here's one that I really like, and, it, and again, this is like my – basically my, my, like, season-long orientation on this team. Mm-hmm. Minnesota plus, minus 3.5 is egregious at home against the Packers. Continuity, as you said, right? Like the Packers had a terrible draft, but they didn't like who, how many starters are they losing? Just Kirksey, probably for
2: Martinez. That's like it.
1: Yeah. And, and Kirksey's better than Martinez. They're both bad, but you know, Kirksey's better. Minnesota, you're losing a starting your best wide receiver. You're losing your right guard. You're losing half your defense, including three members of your secondary. Your offensive
0: but, coordinator.
1: Your <laughs> offensive coordinator who's now a head coach. I think most people are, are thinking that Kubiak was sort of the straw that stirred the drink there. But, look, Kirk, three and a half at home. Like, it's not a – and here's the other thing. The Minnesota home field advantage is about as good as it gets. So, if you lose, <laughs> yeah. any, if you lose any of that
0: – Whatever that's worth, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, right? I mean, but that's yeah. the point. Like, you know, places like Seattle, places like New Orleans, um, Kansas City with great home field advantages, those are going to be reduced, I think, early on. I, I, as much as it pains me, I like Green Bay plus the points early in the
0: season. Yeah, no, that, I, I was honestly going through these and thinking to myself, can I find a favorite that I actually feel decent about? Um, and I'm going through them and I see Dolphins, you know, plus seven, although that maybe gets down to six and a half. Look, I, I'm, I love Cam Newton in New England, but like winning by more than a touchdown, um, just like the first time we've seen these guys play together that that feels a little bit much to me Um, the the Vikings were another one Um, I even liked I thought there were a couple of home underdogs that really stuck out to me and you talked about season-long orientations Eric and a team that I feel like a broken record because I think I mentioned the Detroit Lions the Lions are going to be my Falcons this year (laughs) it's just destined to happen every Detroit Lions fan you talk to is like Yeah, my life is tortured. This is like, this is painful. So that's my destiny for this year. But they are, um, you know, they are just one and a half point favorites at home to the Bears. That one really sticks out to me because the Bears at quarterback are a disaster. And then, um, and then looking uh, later on in the week uh, or in the day, is this, yeah, this is an afternoon game. Wow. The Bengals uh, are three point underdogs at home to the Chargers, which I thought,
1: Yeah, Uh, and both of those you can buy. So, like, if you go Bengals plus 3.5 in some spots, it's minus 115. Uh Plus 3 is even money. Same thing with Detroit. You can sell a point and go minus 2.5 for even money. Like, I like both of those. Here's one. Here's a favorite that I like. And, again, it's going to be basically because I'm going to fade this team to oblivion all season. Dallas, minus 122 on the money line, minus 105. Minus, you know, minus two and a half yep. at Los Angeles against the Rams um, total on the game 49 and a half now I think that I, I think not only is Dallas going to win that game comfortably I think it goes under and I could be wrong I, but I, I, like, I like that game as okay let's find a favorite that that people might avoid early on that's a good one in my opinion
2: I think one more that's sticking out to me, as much as I don't want to take a you know small road favorite, and especially when it's west to east, but it's obviously week one, so that changes it a bit. Uh, I mean, I think the Panthers are going to challenge the Jags at least early uh, as the worst team in the NFL. And so I don't love lane points with the Raiders flying cross-country, but week one, the Panthers, I mean, the entire roster is brand new, um, and there's a lot of continuity in, in, in uh, Las Vegas, so I could see them coming in and just winning a close one. Yeah, the Panthers are
1: terrible in the secondary
2: <laughs> And, uh, their the, defense the, is so bad. The, Raider,
1: the Raiders are going to at least have Henry Ruggs, you think about that, and then Darren Waller, obviously, and uh,
0: Hunter their Renfro. Offense like isn't, they their offense wasn't bad. The yeah, Raiders' I mean, offense was a top half of the league. I think it was tenth, uh, yeah. top 10 in expected points added per pass play. Yeah. Like, their issue was that they were the worst defense in the league. It wasn't really, that close.
1: We really like the Raiders under this year. If you want to hedge that, I mean, if the Raiders are going to go over their season win total this year, they have to win this game. So, if you want to like sort of hedge at all, I think week one against the Panthers. Um, I, I, I'm too much of a Bridgewater fan to sort of bet against him against a crap team like the Raiders, but I could, I could, I could be convinced otherwise.
2: I guess you could go. You mentioned the bad defenses. I mean, an over week one over. I know totals week one tend to scare me away because things are kind of random with the scoring like. this year but yeah but I mean what the Raiders added what Nick Kwiatkowski my guy from Chicago who's like a run of the mill actually they had Corey Littleton too but yeah I mean the defenses haven't gotten much better
1: yeah they're deep, uh the Raiders the Raiders added a bunch of players but none of them were good except for Littleton so on yeah. defense so <laughs> yeah. um it, it is a little bit oh and and they they're coming off of a season I think Kansas City and Denver also benefited from this But Oakland last season played a pretty crappy schedule of opposing offenses. And so, like, all those defenses, I think, are a little bit overrated going into 2020.
0: Here are a couple more that that I had circled. One was my Washington uh, whatevers are six-point underdogs at home um, to the Eagles. And... I mean, Ross Tucker was on here last week and talked about the Eagles' offensive line. Now, I know they re-signed Jason Peters supposedly to play guard, so that means Andre Dillard is playing uh, offensive tackle, which would worry me. I am much higher on um, the Washington offense, I think, than than some. I just have, you know, Haskins and and Terry McLaurin. Um, But the Eagles, I know they, they won this same game last year and they did so comfortably, but... I don't know, man. Six points on the road scares me a little bit. And then one game that I think we should talk about a little bit is the Bucks going to New Orleans. You mentioned New Orleans and their general home field advantage being very good. That's a four-point game. The Bucks are getting four points. Um, lack of continuity, obviously, there is tremendous. But uh, I don't know, man. There's just so much talent on that team. I feel like I would be if even if Jameis Winston were the quarterback here, I w- you know the game is probably what seven and a half. I would be I would be intrigued by that. You get I, Tom Brady.
1: I hate to get called out for a trend zone here, but those Saints never cover in the early part of the season. <laughs> yeah. Last year they almost lost to Houston on that Monday night. The season before they lost to Fitzpatrick as like what was it eight point favorites at home. Um, and was it the, the year before that was the, when we came up with the Kai Forbath Memorial Extra Point. They got Ugh. drilled by Sam Bradford and the Vikings. Like, they are a consistently inconsistent team early. And, I, and it's, I think it's because they're such a rhythm team on offense. And it takes a while for their defense to come around almost every single season as well. So, I you know, as much as con- they have continuity on their side versus Tampa Bay, it's always a weird one for them early on. So, I would take the points of Brady, especially with the um, uh, with the decreased home field advantage. The Saints have about as good as it gets as far as H- HFA. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to probably lay off. You know, I'm going to probably lay off New Orleans early on,
0: maybe even Tampa here. All right, let's do one more. Uh, let's go around the horn. Brad, we'll start with you.
2: Sure. Uh, I guess I agree trying to avoid just looking at trends, but I know the Seahawks always tend to start off a little slow as well. So you're getting Atlanta plus a point at home. Oh, baby. uh, You know, small home dog, as you mentioned, starts. I know. Yeah, the dog starts going again. It's always Yeah, they were always about a field goal. uh, Getting a field goal at home was the trap of the century last year on the Falcons, but might as well start it off again week one.
1: (laughs) I kind of like that under, too, 49 and a half. The Falcons – The Falcons might just like try to try to Todd Gurley, everybody
0: establish.
1: And, and and you know, the Seahawks are trying to establish the run. Um, so
0: Eric, any others for you?
1: No, I I really do like that Bengals bet that you're talking about. Um, we're low on the chargers and I think the chargers, they don't, they have to win that game getting out of the gate. So if you like the Bengals and you also like the fade on the chargers, you can sort of get a double double win early on. Um, if you know obviously if we're wrong, you're wrong, you're probably doubly wrong, but uh, you know I just I have a hard time like look if, if Herbert starts, you're talking about Herbert versus Burrow and I just I mean there's no comp- competition there, so
0: yeah, I'm with you. Um, I really wanted to fade the Arizona Cardinals week one, um, but they're getting seven and a half against the 49ers. so I- I'm gonna stay away from that game. but the I last like,
1: over in that game might be good at 46 and a half.
0: Yeah, I see yeah, that's that's right. Forty six and a half would be good. Um, but I go to the very last game of the week, which is the late Monday night game in Denver. Drew Locke is a favorite. I know it's short, it's one and a half, I know the whole Denver thing, I get it. But the Tennessee Titans have one of the better passing games in the NFL. They're going to be going against a team in Denver with a very green rookie, basically rookie quarterback still. He's only played five games that has very little continuity. I think the season long narrative is the Tennessee Titans, if they can avoid running the ball on every down, should be a good team. So yeah. that's the last that's one. That might the be the only place
1: out. where some home field advantage is maintained. But, right. Um, but if you're playing at night, uh, that, you know, the heat and the, mm-hmm. the altitude might subside, you know, and it's not like Nashville's a cold place this time of year. So, know, yeah, I like that pick a lot. I mean, I think I took it at two and a half when it came out. Um, it's probably, it stayed there the whole time, interestingly, but,
0: you know. All righty. This was fun, guys. Brad, thank you for joining us and dropping some knowledge. Uh, I'm going to tease next week's or uh, not next week's, this coming week's Uh, show on Thursday we're going to have Mike Tarico. it's going to be a lot of fun, looking forward to it Um, gentlemen, stay safe wear a mask and uh, we'll see you guys later thanks for tuning in